You're listening to WMUA Amherst. And we're in the uh, second hour of Barbarian in the Valley. I hope you enjoyed that first hour of semi-coherent speech. All right. And uh, this is the second shift. If you want to hear that, uh, that is podcasted to all major platforms. I decided to bike over here today, a bike to the basin of the valley. All right. Not like the full valley, but the basin of the valley. And uh, I have anticipations of getting Charlie horses, okay, because I don't really use my legs that much. The other day, I uh, did a major workout on my legs, and then I was watching a Jim Jarmusch movie. My wife had gone to bed. I had a little bourbon, a little bit of chocolate, and I got a double Charlie horse, and I just kind of slid down to the floor in a lot of pain, but also kind of laughing because I knew it would end. And, you know, when you get older, you realize that these things end. That's the privilege of age. It's no matter how bad it is, it'll pass, including life itself. All right, now the second half of the show, you know, and the second half, we're really focused on uh, cohesion and community, right? And we're not experts. I have two guests, which I'll introduce to you in a little bit. We have no real position, although it may emerge that positions emerge. But uh, I think it's important for the listening audience to understand that we're not necessarily on an agenda here, that we're having an intellectual conversation about things. And, of course, as I mentioned earlier, today's show is about guaranteed income. And the prompt is, essentially, would guaranteed income lead to more cohesion in society or more isolation? All right. Now, a note about the phones. Uh, In terms of the phones, and let me just say that number one more time, 413-545-3691. In terms of the phones, I just want to point out that there is a lag time, okay? So there's a lag time from when we're talking and when it goes live. So, and the other thing is there's only one line. So if you're trying to call, just be patient. We'll try to get you on air, all right? Let's a little, listen to a little bit more of this, and we'll be back in a minute.
All right, and we are back. Okay. I just had a small snafu there, but we're back. I'm starting to feel my energy drop down from the top of my stomach to the base of my stomach. And once it goes to the base of my stomach, it goes into my hips. I know this from racquetball, that when I'm playing and I get anxious, it's very hard for me to win. So I just let the energy drift all the way down to my hips. And then I start winning, and I win all the time. So if my buddy Matt is out there, he knows, and I know, that it's usually two out of three that I win. All right, hold on, Waylon, you're not on. Let me put you on. All right, well, I, I'm especially biting my tongue right now because mm. I cannot beat Norm it's true. at racquetball. I'm not good. Or so tennis. Don't, don't, don't get, I'm not going to inflate his ego here because mm-hmm. I'm not no, good at racquetball, but I don't like losing in general, and so I thought I was making incremental progress to beat him, yeah. but he's like Bowser in Mario. He just takes up so much space in the middle <laughs> of the thing. He can't move around, but like I'm trying to do everything possible yeah. Just taking up too much space. Hey, listen, you got to use what you got. I get, I'm a space taker. There's just no question <laughs> about it. Fitzy complained about the same thing. And, you know, I should get out of the way more than I do, but, and, you know, I still oh, want to win. I know how you play it. What happened is we played twice and then you hurt your back. Okay. But, yes, it was embarrassing for you. Oh, yeah. um, My pride was hurt more. Right. Well, your embarrassment is linked to your pride. <laughs> just so you know, that's, there's a clear line there. All right, so, you know, we're going to be talking about guaranteed income. I just want to talk really briefly about it. We, we actually had a really interesting conversation just outside the studio in preparation for this. Um, but, you know, guaranteed income in its most simple form, but there's many different forms. But, like, just for the imagination of this show, let's say that guaranteed income might be $35,000 a year. That the government, like, cuts you a check for $35,000 a year. This is not anything that's going to happen tomorrow or next month. But it's a notion that's been floated. It's been floated out of Silicon Valley most recently. But it actually goes back. Nixon actually tried to pass a bill about this. And one of the interesting things about this issue is that both left-wing and right-wing thinkers can back it. Okay, libertarians might back guaranteed income because they might see it as a way of streamlining uh, social entitlement or benefit programs. They might see it as a way to uh, feed the marketplace. And then left-wing thinkers also sometimes uh, boost it as well as a way of providing safety and security to people who don't have it. There's so many people in this country living paycheck to paycheck, and the anxiety is really high. So now... I'm going to introduce these guys, and then I think we probably should have the conversation we were having in the hall, and then we can kind of pivot and move around a little bit. (laughs) Just a reminder that our phone number is 413-545-3691. So uh, on my left, but that doesn't mean necessarily left wing, is the man (laughs) with the orange van. Okay, Jeremy Jeremy Whalen. And the mustache. Well, it's a mustache. Part of my branding. You've got to put it in there. Well, it's your branding for now. Really, you're only defined by an orange van and an American flag. Okay. (laughs) Uh, you like to really play both sides, actually. So, did you park legally today? No. Okay. I have my spot, especially now. I get real brazen with it because now all the kids are gone, so there's no one I'm really buttoned heads with. So. Right. So, where is it? Because I'm really hoping this time of security So, I'm going to say this. I'm not going to tell listening. you where it's parked. Where, but where the really bright orange it's, van is it's parked? It's the most convenient parking space that is not morally abhorrent for me to park in. Okay, I would never park in a handicapped yep. space. I would never do anything like that. So, am I pushing the boundaries? Yes, but it's the closest one that you could get without being morally reprehensible. I actually saw it on the lawn. Like that doesn't <laughs> seem right to me. When I parked, when I took my motorcycle here, I used to park it next to the bike racks. Yeah, I got I got a world of hurt for that one. Yeah, yeah. Well, I'm hoping you get a world of hurt on this one as well. 
And then, new to our show, Eunice is Omer's second week, it's Elena Fragamini. Hi, hello. Elena. Hello. It's so good to have you on our show. Just last year, you were walking the halls of Northampton High School. Oh, yes. And now you're all grown <laughs> up. You finished your first year at Mount Holyoke. How was that? It was an adventure. It was a real adventure, um, but super happy with where I ended up and really happy to be back in the Valley this summer. Yeah, cool. And what, 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 what about it was an adventure? Like, what, How would you define it? I think going to a women's college these days is a really um, interesting thing to do. Um, especially in a big time of change for women's colleges. Um, but college for your first year is a crazy roller coaster, a great experience both academically and socially. Um, loved my classes and really excited to hopefully bring some of that new knowledge into this conversation today. Okay, great. Thank you so much. I really, it's, it's great too. I feel like this conversation really requires a younger voice because mm-hmm. I feel, I don't actually feel like your generation will deal with this necessarily i think you're right on the edge that's my personal feeling Mm -hmm. i do think my daughter and son's generation this might be kind of if you see the wave crashing it might crash on them it's not necessarily a negative thing but my daughter is seven and my son is three and i can see i feel i don't know what's your thoughts on that actually in terms of like timing of both like heavy automation and guaranteed income Oh yeah, I mean, I just looking at the difference of my of fifteen years and kind of a half generation here. I mean, I remember when I was like seven or eight, putting together my first computer. I'm a technology teacher, so this is like this is my bread and butter. I'm so focused on it. But then you look at, I, I, you know, I say that the the new generation has technology embedded in their DNA, and it's the, because of that. There's such a um, a really hyper evolution in the philosophy in the in using technology and all the politics and thereof that come into it so we i mean we were just having a conversation i don't want to get into the conversation but uh elena was talking we can why don't we all right that's all right okay so i mean this is a good example of just the the evolution in a half generation of oh are we talking about the amtrak thing yeah (laughs) oh no okay no no no, i'm sorry let's save it let's let's save it um but we were, nonetheless, we were having a conversation about how fast things are changing, and that's only going to get faster. So, mm-hmm. you know, Rocky, he's going to have an entirely different uh, stance, even to Elena here. Yeah, well, and I have to say, one thing that, that saddens me for Rocky is he's car crazy. You know, that's his obsession. And he'll probably be able to drive, but it's a good chance most of the world will be self-driving at that point, And the driving will be a kind of artifact and a curio. Um, but uh, I don't want to necessarily open that up. But I think it's an interesting point. Elena? And I think also when we talk about the prevalence of technology in our society, uh, in terms of social cohesion, we have to talk about that too, being on a college campus these days and being around young people who, quite frankly, have phones glued to their hands. Mm -hmm. I think that in and of itself um, presents issues with social cohesion. And that's something I grapple with myself. My phone is sitting right here. I always have it with me. Um, and the ways that even the automation of our society um, is is hurting the ways that we interact as a community and as a culture. Yeah, I agree with that. I feel like it's one of these things. I don't know if you know, isn't it Pinocchio? Where's the, there's that island where the kids go to and they're given cigars and candy oh, yeah, and they and turn they turn into, into donkeys. donkeys. What? You know, yeah. <laughs> oh, it's a classic. Yeah, you didn't know Pinocchio was all oh. screwed up like that? Oh, no, man. that's what? the thing. I remember Spike Lee saying, you know, I didn't grow up on Disney. 
Uh, I didn't grow up on that fun stuff. It's like, have you seen Disney? Oh that God. stuff is really sad and scary. They're like at least pool and they're Dumbo smoking and, doobies and stuff. Oh, man. Pinocchio is like yeah. smoking scary. <laughs> smoking those vapes. And then they turn that, into donkeys. You know those jewels. Those yeah. jewels. <laughs> they, they turn into donkeys. Yeah. It's a scary scene. It really had a big impact on me as a kid. And I bring it up because I feel like, you know, there's so much that's being automated and that you don't have to do. You don't have to open your trunk anymore. You, you know, stuff where you're like, wow, that's neat. I mean, I personally don't have that experience with it. I'm like, I want to open my trunk. I actually don't want to push it. I don't want this button to do it for me. But you do get this sense that, like, tasks are slipping out of our hands one by one. And that's, I don't really want the tasks to slip out of my, I still want those mm-hmm. tasks. Well, even for me coming back to Northampton this summer and seeing the disappearance of certain stores that are yeah. icons for our community, um, faces, glazed, yeah. Sam's, which, you know, there are, there are many factors that go into that, not just automation and the rise of Amazon and the rise of online shopping, but that it's even impacting um, the way my friends and I want to hang out in downtown Northampton or the way that our community can be a place for social cohesion and community and youth just in our downtown. Yeah. Um, so I think even the rise of online shopping is impacting the way that our community functions and how much that is then going to influence happiness. Oh, I, I, Elena, I couldn't agree with you more. And I actually think that would be a whole separate good episode. Talk about the death of retail because oh, yeah. what we're seeing now is, is early stage. Like, and that those are also jobs. Mm-hmm. Those are people who have communities and faces, you know, like work is such a driver of meaning as well. And so every one of those that, that dropped down, you know, that's gone. That's gone for them. And then that, I think, gets into guaranteed uh, income, right? Mm-hmm. Because then you're like, well, if all these jobs are automated, then um, we're going to have to, it's going to end up being some kind of guaranteed income, probably. If, it's going to look like something. But so much gets lost. Jeremy, did you want to? This is entirely a new ep- another episode, but... I am such a fan of retail shops going out of business locally, and this is why. Because what comes in their stead, Jer- folks, wait, wait for it, wait for it, ladies and gentlemen, Jeremy Whalen, he has go. an orange sound bite, yep. so <laughs> ready to really become a social, social pariah okay. part two. And this is why. This he is why. Because it. what comes in the stead of all these businesses going out, it's coffee shops, it's mm. this, that, and the other thing. That that's the service industry, and. Do you ever like when I when I go shopping? I don't want to have a relationship with the person I'm buying my jeans with, but I do want to have a relationship with the person that's making my coffee and know how they're doing. It's a very awkward transaction when you're buying stuff and then you don't know if they're being you know genuine or not. So like, what is happening is the malls are closing. It's you're getting cool things like Prodigy and board games and breweries coming up in their stead. And I much rather have mm. go visit those and have a genuine like interaction with the people there than have to go through the you know rigmarole. That was a good word right there. Uh, but <laughs> of doing that with 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 retail of stuff that I don't know if that person really wants to be my friend or just sell me you know yeah if you don't want to be your friend oh, well, but yeah. I just like let me <laughs> clarify that. <laughs> For all kinds of reasons, um, like the fact that you want their job stand. Um, <laughs> you know, firstly. Yeah, that would be a starter. By the way, shopping malls are one thing, and I do think there's a community there. But I, I think what Elena was saying about Faces is like, that actually is like part of your growing up. And, and the people in Faces have True. community. And True. when you go to Faces, you have community. Well, I think also, Jeremy, like your perspective on 
shopping is you're you're what in your 30s you have some money to spend for youth Early when 30s. i when i go out i don't want to just buy food i don't have the money to spend money every time i go out there's huge value in window shopping and simply going in a store to browse and pick up shirts and look at them and there is an activity in that. And when I think when we lose those spaces in our community, we lose something for youth and kids to do. Um, I, I don't want to just spend money on food in my downtown. And I think you got to be a little skeptical of like the board game store, uh, you know, the electric go-kart thing in the Hampshire mall. Like these things just feel like <laughs> no, there's literally social. a stopwatch <laughs> or like a timer until they go out of business. That's entrepreneurial genius. Okay. Let's take some <laughs> gas guzzling <laughs> go-karts and put them indoors. But going back to what you're saying, you're... The, and if you haven't seen, I, I talk in absolutisms. I apologize, but I do this all the time. But your window shopping is why those businesses are closing. Because, so, yes, you're thinking that you're part so of the maybe we should Maybe we should that's have universal not. basic income. Yes, that's not really yeah. fair. So, that's, so, let, me, let me handle this for you, Elena, if you don't mind. Because I know the mind. You we both know the mind of Waylon. But let yeah. me just handle this, if you don't mind, from an older perspective. Because he's like a... A, a younger version of me in some ways. In some ways, he isn't. Now, Much younger. It's, it's, a, a, if you had listened to Elena, she said that she was window shopping because she didn't have money. Okay, Not because she was just window shopping. You are at the moment. No, literally, this moment is your peak cool. Okay, And I was thinking about this the other day. You are at peak cool. And the reason you're at peak cool is because you're not so young that you don't have any money. But you're not so old that you have kids yet. Okay, True. This is True. not going to last. You know, you were looking down a steep decline in cool, okay? <laughs> dun, dun, dun. And that orange van, yeah, dun, dun, dun. that orange van that seems so cool right now, is, it's just, it's, it's going to be hard to keep that thing going. Yeah, no right, seatbelts for, some... for the yeah. kids, just exactly. FYI. My friend exactly. Haley says it's a death trap, so I, I call it a, an iconic piece of, you know, oh, it's like a muscle it's car, a gr- really. Well, it's a great car. It's a great van, and I've always appreciated that van. So this is interesting. We're all over the we're not all over the place right now, and that's but that's okay, I think. And I do think this idea of retail and guaranteed income, all of this stuff is swirling oh, around. Sure. Automation, retail loss of retail. You know, I think Northampton, this will be very dangerous for it because Northampton really relies on a tax base that comes from all those stores downtown. And I do see it getting more pronounced. And I don't necessarily see like board game places taking over in that way. I, I am, but you know, I could be convinced. Let's talk a little bit. Let's go to guaranteed income. And I just want to remind people that uh, 413-545-3691 is the call-in number. Do not be afraid, okay? We, w- we, will, we will actually take a breath at some point. And so <laughs> please call in. Um, we were having a conversation in the hall because I wanted to talk about one thing. And Elena, you were like, well, actually, we need to talk about this. And I can see it from both perspectives. Elena, talk to us about how you would approach this subject. Yeah. So one of the ways I think that we can approach the question of universal basic income is starting by thinking about the end goal of thinking about we want people's basic human needs met. Uh, Something that people often say in the conversation about universal basic income is to live with dignity. And in my view, universal basic income is simply one policy proposal that we can use to get to that goal. And I think it's hugely important to think about 
what that policy would actually look like because the the structure of that policy will completely influence what the reality of life under universal basic income looks like. Um, there are questions of would um, social services, social safety net, things like Medicaid be cut in favor of simply giving someone $35,000 and pay for your health care yourself? Um, would there be a guaranteed um work piece? Would people need to be guaranteed to work? Those are all really important policy questions that for me completely change the reality of what life would look like. Yeah, right. And I do think that's a good point because just to say where I was coming from was more like, would this even be worth, what would even, if we could get this the way we wanted it to, Mm. like if we could agree, like this is what it looks like, would it even be healthy? Like, would it even be a good impact on society? So I'm, I'm walking down 100 yards down the road and saying, well, what would it actually look like? But I do really understand what you're saying, too, which is w- what what looks like, right? Because, like, you know, like the policy stuff really would define the actual experience of people. Like you're saying, would people be uh, required to work? You know, I actually think it would be good if they were. Mm. Like, let's actually talk about that for a second. Do you want, can we talk about that for a second? Go for it. So, Elena, what do you think about that? What, what if the policy included, like, a work requirement? Mm-hmm. How do you feel about that? I mean, I think there are a few nuances to that, and I think that would, would need to be really nuanced. Obviously, there are people who are physically unable to work, and there are pieces of that. Um, retirement ages. What might this look like when people want to retire? How would we have that work guarantee based in there? Um, How would we provide jobs for people? And would they be fulfilling jobs? And I think that's a key piece when we talk about social cohesion, fulfilling jobs. Um, That's another piece of it. What does that look like, do you think? Like, what defines a fulfilling job? Well, I think one of the arguments around universal basic income is that it would allow people to pursue their passion. You hear a lot of arguments that um, if we guarantee someone a basic income, they might not need to take the job that pays the most and they could instead be an artist, be an entrepreneur, right. take risks. Yeah. So, this is, where, I, this is where my wife and so, I really get, yeah. you know, like we can't all be on Etsy, you know, exactly. and we cannot all be in the Pilates studio. You're talking millions of Americans. This is my concern. I can imagine like what you're talking about working for a certain segment of the population that already is basically taken care of, but I'm worried a little bit about everyone else, you know. Mm. Uh, Jeremy? So I, I want to go back to the, the 35000 I don't want to get, like, specifically into numbers or anything. Okay. But two things. One, the idea that you have that much. I, I am a fan of universal basic income uh, in the sense that it gives you a little bit of playing room with things that you need to get done. Maybe it subsidizes a little bit of your rent. Maybe it goes to a bill, uh, you know, a health bill that you had that popped up. Maybe the car broke. But when you're starting to talk about having a free $35,000 of money, and that, I mean, the idea of incentivizing, the, the reason why you work is it incentivizes productivity. When you remove the productivity, what do you have as a society? What are you aiming for? And like what you're saying is not everybody can be on Etsy. There is no obligation for those people. That's that's what that's what working is. It's dangling, you know, if, hey, you're going to work for me, so I'm going to give you this. It's it's the, you know, the carrot 
it's carrot on the stick. And so when it comes down to it, I think that uh, it, it just you, to have a little bit of leeway, that's good. But to say that we're going to give you you know the x amount of money that yeah. could totally like i could live off of thirty-five thousand dollars a year okay. in western mass but i just with no strings attached i think that that's that's dangerous mm. yeah i think that's i think that's a a fair comment i think also there's a piece of it um where you look at things like um stalinism let's talk about stalinism for a second let's go right? let's go let's, let's go strap in strap in um there was a piece of Stalinist society where um, still, even though everyone was, you know, let's say they were on an equal ground working, um, workers were still, you point out the most productive worker and you say, look at them, they're working the hardest, they're working the hardest, let's hold them up as an example, to provide that relative incentive to work. Okay. Hold on for a second, guys. We do have a caller. Hey, can you introduce yourself, please? Hey, my name is Albert Creamcorn. Okay. Albert Creamcorn, Um, let's go. Good name. Yeah. Okay. Um, t- tell us what your thoughts are on this. Yeah. Well, um, here's what happens under UBI. What happens under UBI is you basically will have a small sort of stipend of sorts, so you're not making absolutely zero uh, per month, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Your landlord is going to say, "Well, you have a bit more money in your pocket than you previously did. Rent is going to go up on a large scale all across Ooh. the country because landlords want your money. Yeah. They don't want anything else. They don't provide anything. They withhold housing." And then they will give it to you for a cost that is uh, exorbitantly higher than upkeep itself. Uh, and then your, your, your employer is going to say, you know, sure, you're making minimum already, but why would, you need to pay, uh, why would I need to pay you a dollar more if you're already getting, say, $1,000 a month or whatever? Uh, that's Yang's proposals, $1,000 per month. Mm-hmm. That's, um, a, that's a really interesting So you're, you're going to see a, a stagnation in wages because employers, they're not going to want to give you any, any money. Anyone who's being paid minimum already, you're already making as little as they can legally give you. And if they could give you less, they'd give you less. They just can't under law, you see. Uh, and, they, and at that point, they'd be giving you even less. They'd be giving you minimum and not much more. There's no uh, hope in UBI. All it exists to do is to maintain a particular status quo such that workers don't rise up in any capacity, mm-hmm. in any organized capacity. Mm-hmm. All right. Th- this is really yeah. good food for thought. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to cue you out, but thank you for the call. We're going to talk about it. Yeah. Th- I mean, th- I mean if going back to where we started with this, too, if you look at the Social Security programs we have, the biggest thing that you that you hear from on and I'm not I don't want to get into politics, but on a conservative point of view is that if you give this money to so and so, they're just going to waste it on this, that, and that. Having social security programs with whatever wherever you may fall in those is at least saying, okay, we're going to give you universal basic income, but it has to be used for this, and we're going to have the, we're going to hold the uh, the coin purse on this. Okay, ho- hold on for a sec, um, but let's get like kind of directly to what the caller is yeah. talking about here. You know, the point is well made, that anytime you throw money into the system, it, we live in a homeostasis kind of ecology of a free market capitalism or whatever. I understand that UBI is a Nestle free market. Everything adjusts, right? He's saying the landlord's going to charge you more, and this is just like classic enlightened despot kind of stuff. You're just buying people off and you're, you're making sure that the top of the kettle doesn't fly off the pot, basically. What are you thinking on that, Elena? 
Well, I think that we have to be a little bit realistic here that if if universal basic income is going to work, things like rent control, minimum wage, Medicaid, social programs mm-hmm. need to be maintained. Okay, well, then, but that opinion. is a big ball of wax now. That's a big ball of wax. That's a lot of money because what if that? What if we get rid of minimum wage guarantees, right? And they say, oh, like our caller just said, mm-hmm. they have a thousand more dollars. Why do we need to pay them more? Or um, raising raising rent. That's a serious concern. Well, um, huge. Huge concern. So how can we, and, and I think that goes back to what is the purpose of this piece of income? Is it to, like Jeremy was saying, um, cover those basic needs, which our social programs are supposed to do already? Or is it to provide flexible spending for people that increases wealth, that increases a comparative wealth? And I think that ties down to like what is what is the purpose of universal basic income? Okay, let me take a shot at it. Unless I mean, yeah, we no, can no, all no. take Go a ahead. shot Go at ahead. it in turn. Go for it. The point of universal income would be that with ever more jobs being automated, there has to be a means of delivery from the government to the people to stay afloat and afford life, right? And this is what actually what I just described really concerns me. Like, the caller has an excellent point. I have, like, a different concern, which is actually what we're seeing is people are being removed from the workplace, which is a huge, like, social network and, and sense of meaning. Like, this is mo- more my obsession. But that universal income is there to plug a hole in society as more and more people are forced out of the workplace. Or you get a revolutionary situation, which is what the caller is talking about. And, of course, no government wants a revolutionary situation. Uh, but I, I, is okay. but is that money to like what what would people be losing when they leave their jobs? What is that money supposed to cover? Is it to buy education and go out for a night to eat, or it, or is it to buy healthcare, or is like what yeah. what well, is look, that money for? The Scandinavian model would be that it would be kind of I think what you would like to see, right? I mean, they are doing this in Denmark. Like, there are towns doing universal income in Denmark, and there's this huge apparatus in Scandinavia that has medical, that has university. You know, it has all of that stuff that I think you would want to... uh, Correct me if I'm wrong. I have no clue what I want. (laughs) Okay, fair enough, fair enough. That's one model, though, right? You have this massive Scandinavian system. Um, Of course, these are very small coherent countries, unlike the United States, which is a wild beast of a nation. You know, it's so complex. It's so varied. You know, and people talk about Finland. It's like, yeah, everyone's a first cousin in Finland. Like, no wonder things are working, you know? I mean, everyone's just, it's just one thing up there. So, you know, we live in a really complex space. But that would be the model, right? In Scandinavia, a universal income would basically... Yeah, you wouldn't really have to work much at all, necessarily. You would have everything else provided for you. You got two people in the family. You got childcare. I mean, they they're closing in on it. So okay, so I want to go back to um, what you were saying about the impact, kind of almost subsidizing a uh, deduction of workforce because of automation. We already have that. It's called unemployment, and. There's, you have to look at the tail end and the beginning of this, okay? So what we have right now is we have a, a really big shift in focus on 
uh, on vocational training of taking these individuals. Vice has an awesome, awesome thing on automation. And essentially, it's looking at truck drivers, right? Now, the the reality of the situation, you're a 40-year-old truck driver. You're you're going around and you're you're shipping A to B and a truck replaces you with a computer system, you're going to be you're going to be screwed. You're you don't you're in a point of your life that you're not going to be able to take full advantage of the um, that educational services, but there is a good population and a young population now that is getting trained for bracing of an impact of losing those jobs. And on top of that, By you who, have... Who is training them to do that? I'm oh, there's curious. tons of government initiatives for... Uh, if you look at where, you know, um, government grant funding and things like that, it's all shifting. Go, go look at Smith Vocational up in Northampton. They have millions of dollars getting pumped into there because... That the the automated revolution. You don't necessarily need that truck driver or or some of those vocational skills um, in that. But what you do need is the people that can fix those machines, and that's going to pay more. You're going to need less of them. But yeah, this is and this is again. This is where you and I part ways a little bit. And this is a big debate about automation because the prior debate. The prior thing shows that actually with more machines, you don't get less jobs. You actually can get more jobs. Yeah. Uh, I don't know this time. Like, I think there's actually a book called This Time is Different, which is making the counter argument. Like, as, as many programs as you have, it's just <laughs> self-driving car is going to put so many millions of people out of work in this country. I mean, you start racking the numbers up. It's going to be hard to imagine everyone getting retrained. But honestly, and just... I mean, I, I look at it like this. Automation is taking away jobs that really you don't want to uh. do anyways. I don't know if anybody reasonably wants to, given the opportunity uh, at an alternative, work in a... My father tells me this story. He used to work in a lock factory, right? He would have to dip the locks in acid, put them over. He would do tens of thousands of locks a day. On it was deteriorating his health. It was deteriorating his just uh, psychological well-being. Do we want our? Do we want human beings to do something that a robot does? No, we want them to be able to critically analyze and think and be productive members of society in ways that robots can't. And that's what okay. that's what the automated re- revolution is. Okay, <laughs> but. You're getting on Etsy and Pilates again, okay? And and no. I just think no, you are. You know, I think that you have to be careful with what you're saying. I do understand. Like when they took the toll booths out, that's all automated now. Yeah, like, and I love it. Well, you love it. I get it. It makes more sense. I'm wondering where those people are right now. I'm curious, and I don't think everyone is ready for that world that you're talking about, which exists in this certain class and a certain perspective. I think also we have to talk again about isolation. I mean, I, I agree with Jeremy. I don't really think people should be breathing in cold these days. Like, that's, you know. Speak but, for yourself. Okay. <laughs> but I do think, you know, what is the future of our workplace going to look like? I mean, I have friends this summer who don't have summer jobs yet and are, you know, going to basically do, like, search engine optimization on their computer at home. You know, like, what... 
what does that look like in our society in terms of cohesion and community? When we cease to have a communal workplace, what does it look like for our eyes? What does it look like for our brains? What does it look like for our bodies? What does it look like for our souls? I mean, we also have the deterioration of the church community, which was a huge place of community for people for decades and decades, I mean, centuries. And we have the deterioration of that. Um, I really agree with that point. I really appreciate you bringing that up and this idea of the soul, right? Because this is a spiritual conversation as well, potentially. I I agree. I think that more and more often, we as a community are being isolated. Um, You know, I think about, sometimes I think about Uber these days and how Uber was this whole thing about it was going to take cars off the road, um, Turns out it's actually put more cars on the road mm. and de-invested in public, tra- you know, in public transportation. Um, but even more so how we're, we're isolated. We're choosing to take individual cars over public transportation. We don't go to church anymore. Um, yeah, how many people show up to town hall? How many people show up dangerous. to school committee? Um, I mean, even online education these days. Like, yes, uh. I think online education fills a role for people who are in maybe rural locations, you know, it can fill a role. I've done those courses. But when we have people doing online education at home, when we have our students doing online education in, in school, this one is going to put some ripples, (laughs) but you know, where is our human interaction? Where is our community? It's huge. And you know, as a teacher, I consider myself not really a teacher of content so much as someone who creates human interactivity in my classrooms. That's who I really am. Especially as a history teacher, I have that privilege. Um, I'm not teaching math. I don't really need to go anywhere specific. I mean, there's standards, blah, 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 that I have to teach. <laughs> uh going to get in trouble. I would like to get you, yeah. I'd like to get your dad on the phone. You know, that's who I'd like to get on the phone because oh, I'd yeah. like to talk to him about, like, what his ex- fuller experience might have been at that work. I get that that was uncomfortable work. But I wonder if he had pals at that work. I wonder how long he was there. And I do want to just trace back just a second. You said it's like unemployment is like UBI. It's not. That, I think, is incorrect because there's a stigma to unemployment, right? Mm-hmm. You know, there's a slight stigma to it. I've been on un- unemployment before. I don't, it didn't really stigmatize me, but there is. And it also ends. You know, guaranteed income is a little bit long. But I'm just curious, like, if your dad was here with us, he might say, well, Jeremy... Uh, hold on for a second. You know, that was uncomfortable work, but I'm glad I had it, or I just don't know. Yeah, but the thing the thing that you're looking at is, oh, he might have friends at work. Well, I'll tell you what, <laughs> for the vast majority of that time, you're talking about these good slivers of things. Those good slivers of things happen not because of work. It was... The, it was in between the times where he was dipping locks and acid that those interactions that you're saying are so meaningful are there. So it's not necessarily get rid of those jobs, make, and then at the same time, create more communal gathering places and have society emphasize that. Because what you're saying is, oh, it's good for you to be in a factory making all this stuff because the five-minute break that you have to go and talk to uh, you know, John over there is, is a formative relationship. Why not have eight hours of formative relationship? Well, hold on. Yeah, I don't well, think I, 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 yeah. I want to do eight hours. <laughs> yeah, no, no, no. But listen, I, I, see you I, enough I met at school, my first buddy. real girlfriend entering data. I mean, it was totally pointless job. I entered data on the 31st <laughs> floor of a skyscraper in Manhattan, a German-American chamber of commerce. It was mind-numbing. And, you know, like, 
that's where I met my first real girlfriend. So Yeah, but you're romanticizing the girlfriend and the relationship rather than the job. Like, uh, the tell job me about the data entry. Tell me about that Excel sheet. It was tell me about how much cool. you loved it. Well, Okay, so then let's get to the point of, like, if we have universal basic income and if we live in a society where, okay, there are no more people who bag our groceries at the grocery store, what about, like, how are those people going to be trained and educated and made sure that they actually that they have a place in our new society that that we are giving people purpose yeah, yeah. that we are giving people jobs that we are giving people a valuable place in our community and and so this is really interesting and and I hear what you're both saying which is like okay you know white flag jobs are going away you know just potentially just for this conversation like this is happening um, we need some other support structure to deal with the despair that might be coming when people are fractured. And I really agree. The decline of the church, the rise of consumer capitalism in direct opposition to churches, and now that safety net is, is really torn and frayed. And there's no, there's no um, spiritual safety net or communal safety net. Not no, but there's, it's less. Mm-hmm. And for a lot of people, there's none. Okay. <clears throat> so... Um, I'm sorry. I just kind of really lost my train of thought. So, yeah, go ahead. I want to say this, though. Do you not think that uh, universal basic income would exacerbate that isolationism? You're essentially saying, okay, you're not at the workplace anymore, but it's okay. We're going to give you this money, and you can go figure it out. Here's some video games. Here's yeah. some Cheetos. Like that, 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 there's no incentive oh, or do. obligation to creating that communal stru- those communal structures and rebuilding that. For, for when if you're just given money and say oh you can figure it out yourself there's nothing that says that you need to go out and be productive in society and, and make those relationships and i also think that when we talk about wealth and dissatisfaction in our society even if i had $35,000 a year i'm looking at that multi-billionaire who is living a much higher life a much more successful life than i am i think a, a lot of our our dissatisfaction society is about relative wealth okay and so would universal basic income even start to fix that i think it could i you know i just feel like this is one of the huge fallacies in society because i've been around money and let me tell you it's it's no joyride when you have a lot of money you know it is not something upper middle class is really what you're aiming for in terms of they, they've done studies that after like seventy five thousand, happiness starts to decline but yes, I agree with you that there is this sense in our society that you're either really important, you know, really important and really engaged, or you really like nothing. Okay, but I'm, I'm also talking about things like healthcare, education, so- social safety nets, yep. right? Under universal basic income, um, at $35,000, how much healthcare can I buy compared to someone who has more than me? Oh, sure. are, are we also maintaining a sense of healthcare? What about education? What about I, that I kid who can that. buy his way into an Ivy League and right, I sure. can't with my $35,000? Yeah, but okay. So, okay, and I hear you. I think for the sake of the conversation, we could say, yes, those things are still in place. You know, that the all the safety net stuff is still in place. But I have this with my students all the time and with some of the parents where it's, what, what are we here for, people? Like, is everyone going to Harvard? Is that what we're doing? Because, like, there's so much more to life than some university or some job you're going to end up in. And I feel like that's a sense of imagination that needs to open up in America. Like, and that's where we see the lack of religion really, like, killing the conversation where it's about the 1%, the 99%. And it's like, no, it's about the whole thing 
It's about the whole thing, and it's about meaning. It's not about money. It's about meaning. Now, I can grant you that if you don't have a basic health care and stuff in place, you know, you might have meaning, but it might be really negative. Well, well, I think that also ties back to the part of how capitalism and relative wealth are ingrained in our American values of getting more and more and more and comparative wealth. And in the last certain, not all of American history is obsessed with that, just to be clear. Like, that comes and goes. It's true that we're in a peak with it, but that's not necessarily the American nature. It's definitely now, and it definitely was in the 1890s and stuff like that. It kind of comes and goes a little bit. And just going into, I mean, when we're talking about this, you talked about, like, Scandinavian countries. you got to look at priorities. I mean, we're talking about hypothetical, uh, you know, theoretical stuff over universal basic income. Why don't we get our healthcare system straight first, our social security system straight first? Then, when we have all those things figured out and really a well-oiled machine and efficient with all of those things, that right there solves a lot of the problems that universal basic income is trying to address. Okay, that makes a lot of sense to me. And it also, I feel like like the last time this thing has been floated is by Silicon Valley. And I, I got to think, there's, that's just one giant tin ear in Silicon Valley. Yeah, they're very good at making these products, and they just have no, there's no soul. You know, they're kind of soulless. That's my impression of it. Like, I just do not, especially when it comes to dealing with problems wrought by technology. They're like, we universal income. And I do think it's like, no, wrong. Like, you're really missing. You, you guys are engaged. You have money. You have work. You're having the time of your life. And we're all just supposed to, like, get universal income? No, I want access to work. I want access to meaning. I, I completely agree with, with Jeremy in terms of if our society is, you know, uh, federal aid for education is a well-oiled machine, healthcare, things like that. Those are very targeted programs, or they should be. They, sh- they should be very targeted towards people and places and communities in our society that need those specific pieces of help. I think one of the ideas, and I don't want to get too much into politics behind universal basic income, is a bit of a libertarian one in that I, I get to determine where this money goes. And that's a question of, is that what our government should be doing? Is, and that's a huge, that question is going to be answered yeah. in a, amazing number of possibilities depending on where you fall on the political spectrum um should our be should our government be giving you money that you should be able to determine where it goes and generally just to get a little bit pragmatic here i think if we do universal basic income i genuinely believe that our social safety net will take some huge huge hits financially yeah i think that probably would be inherent and first of all we can't get anything done right now in this country right yeah i mean it's total gridlock so this is very hard to imagine, you know, unless it was a revolutionary situation, right? Like that's, that's the system will respond probably too late when it has to. But I hear you. It's like, it's hard to imagine anything happening, much less something this fast. Here's a solution. Okay. <laughs> Get ready, ready folks. Wailing <laughs> with the ideas here, okay? Oh. Okay. So. Universe a- Elena and I income. just made faces at each okay. other. Because, so, and he doesn't even know why. <laughs> yeah, no, no, no. Okay. We get stuck on this giving you money with no strings attached. But the reality is... By the way, I just turned my Wayland's uh, mic off. Just to be clear. No, no, hold on. Okay, I'm just putting God, you back on. I just God want to let just you know who has the power. just gave me the lights shining down on me again. 
<laughs> Sorry, go ahead. <laughs> so we get stuck. I mean, the reality is with anything with healthcare or with social security, it's we have this money, but then all of a sudden the politics come in. You can't use this money for X, Y, and Z. Okay, so there's going to be things that with universal basic income that they would say, oh, you can use it for this. But then it's like, oh, you can't use it to buy, you know, junk food and go to the casino, you know, or abortion access or abortion access. So let's go back to this. Okay, let's let's not say universal basic income in the thousands or anything like that. Give every single American a hundred dollar, two hundred dollar voucher and give them and say this is for community purposes. You join a uh, recreational racquetball um, league and you go beat Norm Cody. <laughs> Not going to happen. You know, and say, oh, you don't want to take advantage of that? That's on you. But if you want to be part of a community and whatever community you want, could be church function, could be a sport, it could be a Wait, whole bunch of multitude. Any kind of community you want is a gray area there. Okay. Well, you know, what yeah, if it, what political. If it's that, no, yeah, political, right? Like, what, what if you want to join the Nazi party? What if you want to join your who local gets, KKK? Yeah. <laughs> who gets certified? I mean, I do think... But no, recreational, okay? Maybe. I mean... I don't know. Well, no, but here's... I'm making up this there's a whole, as we go. Right. I have to, I'm breaking out into a cold sweat because <laughs> there's a whole level of hopelessness that's descending upon me when I think Elena... And I think this goes to the conversation we had outside the room. Um, and I do think it's valuable that we've done it because... It is hard to imagine um, the, all the complexities here. That, but what is going to happen then? I I don't think anything will happen. I mean, my my Something cynical always happens. my cynical part of the week is women in Poland just went on strike after the government tried to cut abortion access. They went on strike. I was at the museum in D.C. just two days ago looking at the front pages of every newspaper in the nation on the day after the Alabama abortion ban was voted in, I would say maybe three to five carried that news. And, and we're not striking yet. I don't think anything's going to happen. Well, so what's the difference between Poland and the United States then? I mean, why is that the case? Because um, people are people, you know. It has to be some circumstance some ecological circumstances. Population size. Population uh, size, diversity of population. Diversity. No Geographical size. How much does it actually impact? Because you can go from Mississippi over to Oklahoma and get an abortion. Until they put border checks in effect. Well, okay. Um, I'm just saying, there's like, there's, I don't think that our population right now, and maybe, maybe this ties back into atomization. Maybe this ties back into the fact that we are kind of isolated as a community that so you're saying you don't want my voucher <laughs> i don't want your voucher no i mean but i'm Come just, on, I'm just saying that money. i think there's, so, can there's we, so many complexities can we just take a moment yes to the call will look at this sequence you can put my face on him <laughs> just a moment to recognize that whalen busted in with his idea <laughs> said it as if he was the only one with an idea and then his idea lasted maybe about seven seconds <laughs> before <laughs> even he. I could. I'm looking at you, Waylon, and after, as soon as Elena started in, you were like, "Oh yeah." It was a great <laughs> idea until Elena joined the KKK with my voucher. Okay, you know what? okay. <laughs> oh boy, wasn't 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 ready for that one. No, no, no. I, yeah, I know. Well, you know, insurance companies will refund you a hundred bucks if you join a gym. Yeah, I take full you advantage know? of that. Yep. 
I mean, that's... <laughs> Do you, Jeremy? Oh, yeah. <laughs> to, takes, to the penny. To the he, penny. He joins it. Thank you, Planet Fitness. Does, does he go? Does he go? I got a whole system, okay? I get... In December, they get all the fools that sign up for their New Year's resolution, so it's $99 a year. I sign up right to right, $99 a year, every year at Planet Fitness. Cha-ching. I got to say, they, they have the worst motto of any company. <laughs> <laughs> I can't stand that motto. The Wait, motto is, yeah, what, what is the that? Motto what is, is that, Norm? The world judges, we don't. Which basically makes you, you know even less secure about your body type. <laughs> well, and you know what's hilarious? They actually have two mottos. Their other motto is be free. <laughs> that's my license plate. Oh, yeah, that's right. That's your license plate. I thought it was a stab. You weren't even going there. No, no, that's another defining part of your personality. All right, listen, I'm going to play a promo. We'll come right back in a second. If anybody wants the last word, I don't know if yeah, it's even possible. In. 413-545-3691. As Cody and I were just talking about, um, this just shows the enormity of this question. Um, but also, I think it shows the value of really thinking as a society about what this would look like. And I think often in our politics these days, we think about uh, one big thing. Can we pay for it? Not what would this look like? And I think that I entered into this studio thinking, what about the politics of it? What about inflation? What about how would we pay, how would we pay for it? Um, but I think that we are at a point in American society where we need to think about what do we want? And what do we want for our future, for our children's future, how do we want to live? What do we want? Yeah, yeah. I think that's so eloquent and articulate. And I do think that's kind of what I was saying about, like, what are we doing here? Like, are we all trying to get to Harvard? Because if that's what we're doing, I'm not really okay. That's not what I want to do. Like, I just think we need to, ex I think the American imagination, we have to get back to our imagination. And I don't mean that in a kind of goofy way, but like imagination. A sense of imagination for your opponent keeps you from contempt. Right, if you can understand what your where your opponent's coming from, you use your imagination. This is true in marriage too. If you don't have an imagination for your partner, it gets very bad. That's when contempt because you literally cannot imagine what are they doing. You know, there are times that early in our marriage and early with Harper, I thought, well, is my wife crazy? And then I would be forced to do what she was doing at a certain time. I'd be like, oh, this is such a relief. Because I realize why she's unhappy about this, because it's really awful, like, having to do this right now. And it gave me a sense of, like, walking in her shoes. And I feel like in America, we need to, like, do that more for each other. It's like, no one's crazy here. There's a few crazy people. But no one's, most people aren't crazy. They're, they're like, all right, so last thoughts, Well, Wayland? good. That's a good segue, because what, I'm a pragmatic optimist. I generally think that the, the vast majority of people do things for good, but you also have to prepare for the worst in human beings. And so the caller really nailed it on the head. You got to look at the, the thousand yards down the road because you have to think about the, as, as a pragmatic optimist, I think about how the ideal society in which we would get this, that individuals would get this money and they would put it to good use and be productive of it. But I also think about the nefarious entities out there and institutions out there that want to part a fool with his money. <clears throat> and so if there's money floating around, you have to think about all the people that want to get that money. And so it needs to be, I would much rather, I would be much more confident fleshing out a system of, you know, actual, you know, 
actual health care. Let's let's tackle that. Let's take everybody that's that's UBI right now and, and let's fix that first and fix some things that we have the Huge. institution and platforms yeah. and we can start tweaking them instead of building a brand new a, a brand new institution within within our government. Okay. I mean I get that. I mean the you're bringing up healthcare, that doesn't make me feel <laughs> yeah, like hopeful well, we for, fix that. for what's gonna happen. All right, so it's to me it's like a really interesting conversation and I think that like the range of it is is vast. I think we can walk away thinking, wow, there's so much things that actually are going into this. You know, automation, community, uh, healthcare, other safety net stuff, the lack of religion. I mean, it really is retail. I thought that was a really interesting point, too, is that retail, loss of retail. I, mean, I would like you to, Waylon, ask your dad a little bit about other aspects yeah, of that work sure. and just whether he would do that work again. And we can kind of back around. Um, all right, people. So, that's our show for the week, all right? Sweet. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You guys did great. And um, we're going to be back next week, okay? We have our format, our strange first hour, and then our, like, attempt to be coherent in the second hour. Uh, I hope you guys have a great week. I'm about to get on my bicycle and go across the valley again, traverse the basin of the valley. Waylon, what are you doing? I gotta go take a shower. We're talking about community oh, over here. You. I just smell Gee, over here. I apologize. You really to everybody. I was playing basketball, first. so <laughs> you really go. could have done that first. This I is a take close care of my environment. Health, my health care first before I do anything. Yeah, and else. not ruin your coherent community because <laughs> yeah. we don't. I actually did not notice that. But Elena, what yeah. are you up to? Uh, I'm gonna go develop some photos from my lovely vacation to DC. Okay. Oh, actually, like in a dark room. Not me, the guy at Walgreens. Speaking oh, okay. of a great job. <laughs> yeah, okay. We good. should automate his job. No. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> now let's keep him. I love my yeah. guy at Walgreens. <laughs> All right, folks. Thank you and see you next week. <laughs>